Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek. And don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app. Enter promo code BS. SeatGeek sends you 20 bucks upon your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by Trunk Club. They take the hassle out of shopping by finding the best clothes for you and your style. Go to trunkclub.com slash BS and answer questions about your style preferences and size. You'll be assigned an expert stylist who takes it from there. Get started and Trunk Club will style you for free. Even better, free shipping. Only pay for the clothes you keep. Go to trunkclub.com slash BS. And finally, today's podcast is brought to you by my new website, The Ringer. Don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter, which launches in about two weeks at The Ringer. Dot com. Let's go. We've been doing a lot of Monday rolling lately. We are rolling on Monday. Kirk Goldsberry, my old Grantland colleague, is coming up later right now. Joe House. Uh, Saturday night's Warriors. Thunder game. Uh, three, I think three years ago, you just forwarded me the link. Three years ago, I wrote that the Bulls Miami game, when the Bulls broke Miami's 27 game winning streak at the end of March 2013, was the greatest regular season game ever played because it was a true playoff game. There were real playoff stakes. Miami was going 100% full tilt, and Chicago was also going 100% full tilt trying to stop them. Great location. In Chicago, awesome game. Couldn't imagine it being topped. Did Saturday night Warriors Thunder did that top it for you? Uh, I I loved the drama of Saturday night. I still think that um, Bulls uh, Miami game because of the streak and what was at stake um, still ranks like slightly ahead of it. But that does not diminish at all what we witnessed Saturday night. And I really feel like we witnessed something. I agree with you. I, I don't think the stakes were quite as high, although I did really like there was a point in that fourth quarter when it became really clear that OKC was going to be a problem for Golden State in the playoffs just because of the Westbrook-Durant combo, which we knew already. But it's just a team that can go toe-to-toe and throw some haymakers and throw some uppercuts and take a couple punches and throw one back. And that's the type of team, I, I just think from a talent standpoint, you're going to need just a crap load of talent to even hang with this Warriors team. They have two of the best five players in the league. So I, I was recalibrating my ceiling for them, and then they fell apart in the last minute of the regu- of regulation. Now I don't know what to think. What did you take away from OKC from that game? Well, um, a week ago, on our Mon- we were rolling on a Monday. I expressed skepticism about the Thunder's ability to compete um, with with Golden State in in the way that they showed uh, Saturday night, and the reason I was skeptical is because I doubted their ability to play the kind of defense that they showed through really the the in the entire game and the overtime. I thought their defense was extraordinary. I thought they were physical. <clears throat> I liked very much how crowded <laughs> nice the cough, lane the felt. <laughs> Pardon me. I liked your cough. Are you still sick? Oh, it's, it's, yeah, I'm still sick. I'm almost oh done God. with it. Right. I had a uh I didn't mean to a very <laughs> I had a soul clearing run yesterday morning. Okay. I, I fluids came out of virtually every orifice. Well wait a um, second. So I feel much better now. You're saying that you love the OKC defense. To me, I I the coaching really made me nervous. It brought me back to Scott Brooksland. I didn't understand why he was playing Kyle Singler down the stretch. I didn't understand some of the lineups. Like he, there was chances to go offense, defense, and maybe bring Cantor in to try to score on the undersized lineup. And I, I would have played the rookie point guard. I like all, the all of those point things are, are are fine points. They don't take away from how good the defense was. And yeah. and the single, the only thing you didn't mention that was the single most. Uh, and I haven't yet had a chance to run through the stories. I didn't see any yesterday. You you, you have to call timeout when Durant's trapped. You're, yeah. you're in. He's standing in front of you. He's barely ten feet away. Run your ass onto the court and call timeout. The refs are watching Durant hold the ball in that moment. Get on the court and call timeout, Billy Donovan. Great play by Golden State to not foul, which always works in the NBA, and teams never do it. I'm so spoiled by watching President Brad Stevens because 
he'll call timeouts. The, the moment he doesn't like something, he'll run on the court and call a timeout. And it's not just a play like that. It'll be on offense when the first play they're running in the last minute doesn't work. And he'll just come on the court and call timeout with nine seconds left on the shot clock. In fact, well, the right, thing that I, the, by contradistinction, what I was really super impressed by was uh, Coach Kerr did not call timeout for either of the game-ending possessions. I know. I Neither regular, regular time nor overtime did he call timeout to run an offense. Like, you know, they secured the ball in the backcourt there um, with, what, three and a half seconds left? Maybe three seconds left before they advanced it up to, to AI. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, the degree of difficulty for the steal, like Draymond's ability to get up off the floor, save the ball inbounds to Thompson, Thompson's catch, Thompson seeing AI at the three point line and advancing it. It was, it was uh, you know, uh, an 11 out of 10, the degree of difficulty for that play. It was awesome. One, to trap him without fouling him. Two, to get the steal. Three, for Draymond to save the ball while also not throwing it to Oklahoma City, which I'm not sure how he how he pulled that off. And then the other, the other thing I was wondering when I'm watching stuff like this is Thompson knowing how much time was left. Because sometimes you see guys panic, and they'll just shoot a half-court shot with like three seconds left. He must have glanced at the shot clock, but the whole Still, sequ- in the moment, perfectly yeah. calm and no timeout by Kerr. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was great. So my before we get to the Curry part of this, my takeaway from OKC is that uh, all the stuff I saw that I didn't like is fixable. They have a lot of time to fix it. Um, fundamentally, the Durant-Westbrook combo can go toe-to-toe with this team. And now they just have to figure out who are the people to put with them. Because if they call a timeout, with seven seconds left, they just win the game in regulation. They inbound the ball. Durant gets fouled. He makes two free throws. The game's over. So they were there. And and I don't know. I, I just think. Well, I still, I don't know how many more years we're going to go where it's crunch time and OKC has six or seven or eight consecutive possessions where they miss shots and don't get to the free throw line. I know. Before Durant's three, I think they were either 0 for 6 or 0 for 7 from the field. All of those are... <coughs> How about that one? The most important <laughs> possessions of the game. The most important yeah. possessions of the game, and they let Oak, uh, the Thunder battle all the way back up right to the precipice. It still required two extraordinary plays for, for, the, uh, for the dubs to tie it up. But, uh, you know, I, they, there needs to be something between those two transcendent, incandescent superstars inside of three minutes where they have a couple set pet plays that either get – to the free throw line or get guys easy shots. Now I haven't looked at the shot chart. Maybe Kirk has, and you can ask him about this. But why? Why are they 0 for six or 0 for seven inside the last two and a half minutes of the game? And that's where, if you have a chance to go offense, defense, even once, just what what somebody like Cantor brings to the table for them at least makes you think about it. it opens the floor a little bit. Or I, I don't know. In OT, it was just Westbrook going one on one, which I never felt great about he's a great player they damn near one i mean they they were throwing three guys at him they weren't even guarding roberson Uh, well that that passed but that was the thing that that i was most impressed by the layup that he got roberson yeah with what 10 seconds left or whatever it was great that's the that's a play that i want to see inside of two minutes out of okc that's a that's a pet play a set play they should be able to run when with both uh durant and westbrook on the floor at the same time yeah that's what i like that that's good stuff one thing I, I I don't totally love about this Curry thing, which I love every single thing about it, let's not throw dirt on on how great LeBron was. I, I don't like when we just jump to the next guy. LeBron from 09 to 2013 had one of the greatest five-year runs in the history of the league and cemented his place in the, in the all-time pantheon and is one of the seven best players ever. And from 09 to 2013, he averaged a 28-8-7 in the regular season. With a thirty-plus PR, playoffs throwing dirt. I this I'm just making the point. Playoffs okay. 20, 28, 9, and six, twenty-nine point one PR. He played forty-two point four minutes per game during those five-year that five-year playoff run. Four MVPs and two Finals MVPs. I'm just reminding America. LeBron was incredible, and I know oh Curry. I know Curry's the best shooter we've ever seen. Curry's amazing. Curry's going to win back-to-back MVPs, but. 
What, no, every, everybody with, with their everybody's got their hoops head on, right? The Curry has Curry well, cracked. Sure. Hasn't he hasn't cracked the top twenty yet of all timers? No. LeBron's inside the top ten. Yeah, it's, I don't like the. We've never seen anything like this. You can say we've never that's, seen that's a true. shooter like this. Well, we've never that's seen a true. shooter like this, and we've never seen an offensive uh, magician like this. But I, I just that's all true. Pay respect to LeBron. LeBron yeah, is amazing. It's not disrespectful to LeBron to enjoy Steph, but I guess maybe there is a creeping. Uh, you know, the I, I, once a week now I got to talk about recency bias. Um, this There's, creeping feeling like, you know, are we ready to thrust Steph inside the, the top 15 or top 10 all time? And obviously that's premature. I did love quite a bit. My main man, Nate, Nate Duncan, confirmed this. Um, Steph's game Thursday night against Orlando leading into the Friday night game was the most efficient 50-point game in the history of National Basketball Association. Right. You'll never guess who has the second most efficient 50-point game. Paul McKeskey? Um, no, Dana Barrows. Oh wow, I might have, I might have actually watched that game. Uh, uh, all right, now that now that I just uh, laid that LeBron thing down quickly, oh, I just want to say Steph Curry is unbelievable. I've never, yeah. I mean, this is like every story I've heard about Maravich. If Maravich got red hot, it's just been like this for the entire season. And uh, what was weird is when he pulled up from 35 in OT, I thought he was going to make it. Didn't you think he was going to make it? I really, yeah, thought, yeah, I genuinely we... thought he was going to make it. If you'd paused it and said, bet your life, is this going in or not? I would have said, I bet my life it's going in. I, I smiled. I was sitting there watching. I got a big grin on my face as he was, you know, uh, rising up, as he was pulling himself, collecting himself and rising. It was like, oh, yeah! And, and I, I couldn't believe that they didn't play up on him more. And yet, it's just ludicrous that you would ever play up on anyone who's 35 feet from the basket. What's so funny is Roberson caught himself that half step. He's, you know, he was doing what, what his basketball brain has taught him to do the entirety of his basketball life, which is it's okay to, to um, retreat past the hash mark. And you see the moment where he realizes, I've taken a half step too far. I need to sprint back out, and it's just too late. So Steph in February, 10 games, he's averaging 36.7 points a game, 7.3 assists, 5.6 rebounds. His splits, 55 from the field, 55%, 54% from the three front line, 88% from the, from the foul line. He's averaging 6.7 made uh, three-pointers this month. And uh, and he has vaulted himself back into my favorite club that he has single-handedly created, which we talked about in a podcast, I think, late November or early December. Um, the What the Fuck Club. Oh! 30 points, six uh, assists, five rebounds, and five made threes per game. It's the 36-5-5 club. It doesn't yeah. exist. It doesn't exist in the planet. He created it. Uh, and he's taking 11 threes a game, which is amazing. Uh, yeah. He's also, just in case you're wondering, oh yeah, he's also having the 50-40-90 season and he has the highest PR of all time. So that's just a quick stat check-in. But, um, I mean, I really, I can't imagine him doing better than this. This has to be a career year, right? You can't, you can't top this. I, I, I do feel like this is it. This is the peak. This is the apex. Feels like it's untoppable. We I just don't understand. How, to, how would he top it? What would he start making th threes with his dick? Like what? What, well, be, what, would, what else could happen? He'd be 50-50-90. And I guess I the thing that um, you know, LeBron was so great at his absolute apex, but it was the little stuff. Like I reread the the piece I wrote about um when the Heat's win streak ended, yeah. and there was that play. He did it twice near the end of that game where he let Heinrich go by him. Yes. And then blocked the layup two times in a row. I but, remembered it when I read it. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? He was just, he, <gasps> he was so great that he had figured out these little nuances. And those things are more subtle and harder to pick up for casual basketball fans. Whereas what Curry is doing is stuff like that my eight-year-old son can just figure out and enjoy and completely appreciate. And I think that's but, why he's resonated like he has with, with everybody. In fairness, it will be um, an accurate 
I guess if you have to come up with a criticism, I hate to use, I hate to criticize. He does have the luxury of taking defensive possessions off. That teams have not yet punished him, um, figured out a way to punish him. He was on Westbrook a fair amount, but he wasn't on Westbrook to the extent that um, it, it had the effect of taking his legs away, which was one of the ways that folks. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to come up with, you know, how do you beat the Warriors? How do you um, slow down Steph Curry? By the way, you, you just him. you just described Bird and Magic. Which is, what, in, in what respect? They always were hidden on on the yeah. least threatening offensive player on the other team. I mean, that's it's, it's smart if the guy's not an elite defender and you're saving their legs a little bit. But I think what he has in common with Bird and Magic is he's active. He... He he gets a couple steals a game, but he's also crucial too. Crucial steals, not not wasted steals, like important time of game steals. Right, but he's in the moment, and he, even if they're hiding him a little bit, he's always ready to pounce. And you saw it at the end when they when they had that uh, that great tip by Draymond. They get the rebound, and Curry's off like he's yep. running to his spot, and he's in the moment, moving. It was a little chaotic. There's like seven guys bunched together, and he's and he's just always there. I, I yeah. think he's omnipresent, and that's what Bird was like. Bird wasn't the great defender, but he was always kind of roaming, and he was there, and he was involved, and he was just ready to pounce at all times. And Magic was like that too. And you know, I think from an offensive standpoint, first of all, he's he's kind of topped what Nash did, which I I didn't think was was possible because when we watched Nash ten years ago, he'd be like, Jesus, my God, yeah, the it. triple threat. This guy, this guy's just so efficient. He's so good. He's so good at making everybody else better. Curry makes people better because he's so good, and from the spacing and all that stuff. But it, there's a confidence that he gives now. Like that Warriors team really just feels like they're going to win every game. They're right it's now. so weird. They, I thought they were going to lose that game probably a dozen different times. I thought the Warriors were going to lose that game, you know, at least double digit times. They kept missing layoffs. Draymond was 0 for 8 from the field. He was terrible. They, were, they got crushed on the boards. They got annihilated on the, on the boards. They, By the they way, were, that's a really bad sign for them. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That doesn't bode well for their for their playoff destiny if you're just thinking about they're going to rip through the playoffs. Like You can't get out-rebounded like that in the playoffs. I don't they, think. They were out-rebounded by 30. Yeah. And by the way, that is exactly the formula that Cleveland used to almost be three games up in, in last year's finals. I mean, we have to keep reminding ourselves that that series almost, uh, you know, but for Kyrie's injury and, and, and honestly LeBron missing, uh, you know, a makeable, make, not making a play at the end of, I think it was game two. Right. They, they, there was a, they were, they were, the, the Cavs were very close to being up three games to none. They controlled pace and controlled the boards. That was and a, you that, have to, the yeah. Warriors had a little deer in the headlights in those first couple games, though. For sure, for sure, and it requires a you know uh, composition of of um, talent. Now, I think OKC. I was really impressed. That Adams cancer combo. Yeah, p- pretty good. I like this OKC team. I, I really think that the pieces are there to give the Warriors a lot of trouble, and I love the fact that like a couple good things. Right, they play. They can play good defense. Even though they gave up what 115 or 120 points that game, they can That's still just pace. That's yeah, just pace. They can get stops. Um, they have Durant, who can go toe to toe with Curry at any time. They have Westbrook, who athletically is 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 a tough one for Curry. Oh, you know, yeah. he's just like it's like trying to tackle some crazy running back 40 times a game, and it, even if it wears him down five percent, that really helps. They got a lot of different options. It's a flexible team. Like they can go small, big stuff like that. I'm not sure if the coach can figure out all that, all those options, but they're there. And then they can I'm, rebound. Like that rebounding thing's a real thing. I want to look at that uh, the box score. How many minutes did Payne play? I, that's now. How, how, how I, I can don't, that be? I don't understand why he did it that way, unless he's saving that. Like there's a oh. chance he's just saving it. He doesn't. Here's he didn't want to show it. He didn't want to pull it out. <laughs> DNP, coach's decision. Pain. Pain. Wow. DNP. Who, I didn't realize who, it was DNP'd. Who we've who we seen, like, the most interesting spark from the last, like, like you know, 15 games, month, month and a half, right? Well, what's funny about a, it as is... A, as it, a burgeoning weapon. 
Yeah, and it moves Westbrook to shooting guard, which which you know, not technically shooting guard, but yeah, shooting guard. And it I don't know, I like what he does for them. Maybe he's just waiting. Maybe he didn't want to maybe he didn't want to drop that one yet. He's he he this is uh this is your boy Donovan play playing chess. I'm gonna have to break that one out. Donovan playing chess. I or he's or he's playing checkers and that explained the last whatever. <laughs> well, that calling timeout when with with his his superstar six feet away in front of him, that's that a checkers terrible. play. That that's was terrible. Um, the Warriors are fifty three and five. We're taping this on Monday morning West Coast time. They're twenty four and zero at home. The Spurs are twenty eight and zero at home. Somehow those two teams combined are fifty two and zero at home, which I, I is just inconceivable to me. Um, the Warriors are averaging one hundred fifteen point four points a game. God bless them. They're making almost 13 threes a game. They're shooting 42% per, uh, from three, which would be a record if we didn't have that stupid season in the mid-90s when they moved the line too close. They only have seven road games left. Oh, Did you know that? I did not know that. They have 17 at home and seven on the road. And uh, And the toughest one is March 19th at San Antonio. Yeah. Well, and, I get the re- we get the replay... With OKC this coming Thursday, right? That's in Golden State. I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about the most difficult road game. Yeah, I'm saying there's a chance they go to San Antonio, and San Antonio is going to be like 31 and 0 or 32 and 0 at home, and uh, and playing the Warriors. That's a Saturday night game too. The other thing that's interesting about the the Warriors that they they beaten everybody that matters. <laughs> Here are their five losses. They're all on the road. Milwaukee, Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Portland. See any contenders in there? I didn't. No. So they, Quickly, they take care no. of business. This is what the 86 Celtics did. Yeah. The 86 Celtics were 67 and 15, but they killed all the good teams. Like they beat the Lakers both times that year. They went, I think there was something like 17 and one or 18 and one against the good teams, and they would lose to all the stupid teams. They would lose to like the Nets. So fingers crossed, San Antonio, everybody's healthy. We get to see. Duncan Ginobili and Parker all play. Is Ginobili going to be back? I hope so. Let's let's yeah. make PD's legal for him. Let's get him back. <laughs> PD's legal for all the Spurs. Did well, look, s- it's it's leap day. Anything goes. Let's, yeah. let's go ahead. And let's get him a dose. Let's send him a dose today. You know, four, there's no rules today. There'll be no record of it. It's leap day. Four years ago, and some change, you, me, and Kevin Wilds were in Indianapolis for the Super Bowl, and we did a podcast, and I introduced my theory about how uh, on Leap Year, everything should go. It should be, there There are no rules or laws on Leap Year. Cause it's Today's only, the day. I know, once every four years, it's just like, just no rules, no laws, no record, no newspapers. You were advocating for friendly chaos. Yeah, and yet both of you were frightened by it because he, you didn't think it was friendly enough. And I was like, no, no, you can do whatever you want on Leap Year. And we went back and forth on it. And then like a year and a half later, The Purge came out. I basically laid out the entire <laughs> blueprint for The Purge. It's on there. You can well, see I it. Think it's somewhere you, in the you made a, you, you went for a verbal trademark, and it's a shame that we didn't get it up and, and, go, and running for this one. I do love the horror franchise where the movie come, only comes out on, on, on Leap, Leap Day. Once every four years. Yeah, I got to trademark that one. Yeah, every four years, the killer comes back and kills, like, <laughs> goes into a sorority house, takes out everybody there, just can't, takes out, like, 25 people, and then disappears again. And well, nobody I'd can like stop it if, them. If, the, if there was a cult of kids born on, on Leap Year Day, because we had a hard time with that. What if you're born on, on today? Do you, you don't exist? E- no, you don't exist. <laughs> it never happened. So that's got to be part of the plot for the, for the horror movie, right? All these kids that don't exist. Do you um last question and then we're gonna go to Goldsbury. Yeah. Has Curry reached a point to you that uh that Bird and MJ reached when you're just watching them day to day? Yes. And and let's let's include LeBron. LeBron was must see T V just because you were worried about, you know, people throwing dirt. LeBron was must see T V for quite a bit of that Miami run. He was. They there's some sort of one higher level that Curry reached in him as an offensive player, though. Okay. All right. The, the sheer enjoyment of watching. You you have to set aside these three hours. I, I love the email that our, our mutual pal, 
Hershey sent Saturday night about the lengths he went to to clear out his house so that he, there was not one single possession interrupted. <laughs> that was funny. He's going to be mad you mentioned that, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> now, I think the difference with Curry and LeBron is that LeBron could get there a couple times. Like he got there in game six and in against Boston in 2012. And he got there in the, like that nine minute stretch at the end of game six in the 2013 finals where he would just take over and he was awesome. Curry is routinely ripping the heart out of the opponents and, and he's better on the road, which I love. Cause that's what bird was like, where it's like, yeah. The, the, knowing that he only that these people are coming to see him only once or twice a year, he feels like he's got to put on a show. the The way he's affect like when you watch the uh, OKC bench as he's lining up that three, it's like none of them, it, it, like all of them, kind of saw it coming. It was a super old school bench reaction. It, it was like oh my. Like Bird, that's what Bird was like, and that's what I Jordan remember. was like too. When you think of like Jordan in the '98 Finals, yep. when he made yes. the game winner against Utah in Game One, which was the forgotten great Jordan show, or '97. I'm sorry, when Malone got the MVP, he missed the two free throws in the finals of Game One, and Jordan came down and hit the game winner, and we're all watching that game going, Jordan's going to hit the game winner. I don't, I don't know if LeBron ever got quite to that point, and I don't think Kobe did either. Yeah, I, I Steph is different because anything is possible. Thirty-five footer to win the game. I mean, it's incredible when you go through sort of regular old basketball logic. What do what do teams do when they get possession with a game tied in overtime on the road? The very first thing they do is call timeout. Right. So you advance the ball to half court and have plenty of time to run something, run some set play that gets you a super, uh, you know, the the most optimal. Uh, efficiency-wise, close to the basket as possible shot. <clears throat> Not Golden State, because they have Steph Curry. And Steph's immediate retelling of, you know, the, the, the mandate that he had from Coach. Well, Coach said if we get the rebound and I can push, that I should just go ahead and, and, you know, push up comfortably. And I didn't really know how far away I was from the basket. I just was counting dribbles and um, getting myself to where I could uh, rise, up, rise up comfortably. But I felt pretty good. You know, they showed Kerr, and Kerr's seen some unbelievable moments, right? Like, he was there for the second, for the post-baseball MJ run. And even he looked, like, kind of shocked. Like, not even shocked. Shock's the wrong word. It was more like, kind of in awe. It's just just like, I I just can't, I can't believe I get to coach you. It was the same look he would have with MJ. Like, I can't believe I get to play with you. It was the same type of thing. And I, I don't... LeBron is is the greatest two-way player I've ever seen, and he's one of the seven greatest players I've ever seen. I don't remember him evoking that kind of reaction from people on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it, 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 it's never been the case with LeBron where you felt like he um, is going to win this game right now. He's going to win this game right here in this moment. I was, and there's I nothing been, you can do. I mean, he could yeah. put his head down and get to the line. But there were, and and occasionally he'd get hot from outside, things like that. But they, this this is like one other level that I I don't really remember him getting to regularly, you know. Anyway, it, it yeah yeah I mean it would have been surprising if Steph had missed. You know the other thing I got now this is like turning into a Steph gasm. I wish J- Jim Nance it always was does. There. another not, Curry yeah. eruption. Well, that was my brain. But yeah, great Mike Breen, and who was somehow like a split second ahead of the feed, which I kind of enjoyed. Bang! <laughs> he was ahead of the feed. How did that happen? The it made was... me so happy. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that Steph doesn't get enough credit for is how great he is when these guys jump out at him and just kind of navigating and shooting these weird reverse layups and running floaters and like all the shit Nash used to do. But he's kind of mastered it. Yeah. I've never read the right story on on how he's mastered these little off one leg, off balance. Although it just he does, he finishes beautifully, unbelievably. He, you know, yeah, it, it does. The degree of difficulty on his finishes, for the most part, you know, are are, are incredible. They shouldn't as, go as, in. They half the time you're like that should hit in. the rim and go out. Yeah, um, exactly. And the last thing I'll mention is that he hit twelve threes in that game. And I think we've become numb to those numbers at this point. But yeah. just think about that. Like if 
if Bradley Beal came back for the Wizards tonight and made 12 threes, like you'd lose your effing mind. You'd yeah, have a heart it, attack. It would be insane. You'd be like, oh my God, Bradley Beal hit 12 threes. I can't believe it. And Curry just that he hit like 10 and then he hit 12 in back to back games. I would like them one time. It's not in their DNA. They would never do it. But the silly record that he keeps sharing with with you know other other guys. Yeah, just get it. Just go for the just, thirteen, Steph. Exactly. Just go go get fifteen. That's How true. Hard is that? Yeah, that's, go get sixteen. That's four a quarter. Come on. Yeah. Man, twelve. Go do it. Twelve is really hard. Twelve is incredible. It took overtime. I the other thing I don't like this whole thing about uh, we're going to talk to Goldsberry about this about people panicking now and should they move the line all this stuff like this Steph Curry's a freak like you can't move the line just because he's a freak. Oh no, that's a silly thing but to they, say. Don't move the line. Like if they, if, it's like when they would talk about raising the basket with Shaq. Oh, we got to raise the basket. It's like what? Shut up. Yeah, no, definitely um, not. All right, house. Everything's good. Hey, I was um, fun. I hope you survive the rest of the day. Did uh did you enjoy Chris Rock's Oscars performance or no? I didn't love it. I don't like the Oscars. Uh, yeah. I like movies, but the the three hour, three and a half hour jerk off is just t- too much. Like you know, the self importance has gotten to me at, at this stage of my life, yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, guys, you're not exactly uh, curing cancer here. I'm glad it's Spotlight One. It was uh, it's a it's a you know crucial subject, and I appreciate the. Um, the good thumbs up that journalism got out of it, but otherwise, I, I'm not a big fan of the Oscars. They knew! They knew, Robbie! I was so glad they played that for Ruffalo. I predicted it. I predicted it months ago. I predicted it again last week, and then they ran that part for his, Too bad uh, for his Oscars bet on that. thing. Yeah, that was great. Leonard Nimoy was a shock as as the hammer for the death yeah, montage. Right. Did not see yeah. that one coming. I thought it was going to be Omar Sharif anyway. Yeah, right. I like that. The odds you had there. House, uh, I hope your seven-week seven, uh, seven week cold finally clears up so you don't cough on next week's podcast. Talk to you later. I'm going to do my best. Hopefully it'll coincide with the, another Washington Almost Bullets winning streak. We're yeah. pushing up on the playoffs. Markeith Morris likes the chemistry. <laughs> see you later. Say hey to Goldsberry for me. Love that guy. All right, I will. All right, great. Uh, We're going to call Goldsberry, but before we do, to run a successful business, you need to make the most of your time and your money. That's why LegalZoom is such a savvy way to start your business. Right now, when you incorporate or form an LLC, you'll save money on some of the basics to get up and running, like a three-month trial of QuickBooks Online accounting software or a domain name for a year through Web.com, both at no charge. After your business is set up, LegalZoom can help with a lot more. Reviewing contracts and dealing with day-to-day legal hurdles takes time away from growing your business. That's why LegalZoom's business legal plan is for you. You get legal advice for your business from independent attorneys licensed in 48 states. You also get access to NDAs, lease agreements, and more. You won't get charged by the hour because LegalZoom is not a law firm. Instead, you pay a low monthly fee. Save time and money starting and running your business during National Small Business Month. I didn't realize it was National Small Business Month. Wow. Uh, At LegalZoom.com. Go there today. Don't forget to enter BS in the referral box at checkout. And while we're here, let's also talk about Slendertone. If you're like me, you love exercising, you love walking around, you love getting your blood going, maybe you don't love going to the gym. Maybe you don't love doing sit-ups. So why not get some help with your ab workouts? Use Slender Tone Connect Abs to actively tone and tighten your abs. Slender Tone's abdominal toning belt is controlled via a smart app that creates your personal training plan. It tracks your workouts. It sends customized tips to keep you motivated. I know I need to be motivated with this stuff. Their EMS technology sends deep pulses that engage your stomach muscles, causing them to flex and contract, just like in regular exercise, giving you a stronger core Um, You can even watch TV as you're doing it. Oh, yeah. Join the 100% of users that reported firmer, more toned abs with real results in six weeks. There's even a money-back guarantee. Visit slendertone.com today. Receive 20% off using offer code BS at checkout. Once again, slendertone.com. Offer code BS. And now, my friend, Kirk Goldsberry. All right. My old Grantland buddy, Kirk Goldsberry, who uh, has disappeared from the internet. He's disappeared uh, except for his family and his friends. 
He's he's been working. He's been doing stuff. He's been up to yeah. stuff. But now, um, he's here to talk about Steph Curry and three point lines and where the basketball sport is going. How are you? I'm great, Bill. Thanks for having me on. It's great to great to be back on the internet. Uh, I've missed it for a while, but uh, it, it's good to make an appearance. It's great to be back on the internet. I like how you put that. Um, can you <laughs> can you say what you're up to, or you're not allowed? No, I could say. Yeah, I made a career change. I'm very excited. I, I, I'm working with the Spurs. Um, I can't say too much because of, of that, but you know, I continue to to live in Austin and do do NBA stuff, and I'm really excited to to work with this uh, work with this team, and and most of all, just learn from them. But uh, I'm really also just sort of excited to to, to watch the season unfold, participating on the team side, um, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm also here because of what happened on Saturday night. It just blew my mind, and I'm giving a lecture at the Sloan Conference like I normally do uh, next Friday about the three-point line. I thought it would be a perfect chance to sort of talk with you and pick your brain about right. how I think that's going. All right, so this is a preview of your Sloan Conference talk in Boston on Friday. Yeah. Um, three-point line. I, I just said to House, I hate when somebody's doing – extraordinarily well at something and then there's an overreaction that we have to somehow change the rules to to kind of accommodate for what's happening here i don't think we should change the rules with steph curry because steph curry is kind of mastered shooting for lack of a better word but your your point is it's some of the other guys that are kind of ruining the three-point line and maybe we that's why we should fix it so make your case so yeah, like Mark Cuban uh, and other people who have come out recently, I don't think this is about Steph Curry at all either. But I do think it's time for the NBA to at least consider moving the line. Um, I do think uh, that, that, you know, I wrote two things on Grantland about this. One about is it time to move it back in 2014? And the other one was about how the three-point line has killed the power forward. And it's that second one that I think is really important to consider. So um, a couple of points I wanted to run by you on that is, uh, you know, Kevin Love is shooting 6.2 threes per game this year. Uh, he's supposed to be a power forward. In in his entire career, Reggie Miller averaged more than 6.2 threes per game uh, once when the when the arc was shortened. So we have a player like Kevin Love shooting as many threes as, as Reggie Miller used to. In fact, more than Reggie Miller usually did. And same with Dennis Scott. Uh, do we really want our power forwards out there uh, shooting threes? And I think... It's about the rank and file ho hum three point shooters. It's certainly not about the Clays and Reddicks and Steps of the world. And I think that's what is sort of driving me to think about: should we move the line so there's less of that? So, I mean, there's two separate things going on here with the power forward position. One is you're almost better off sticking your power forward behind the three point line if he can make even 35 percent of his threes. That's something Boston has been trying with Sellinger for two years and then finally kind of gave up on, on him launching those. But um, what's, what's weird to me is that we still have a lot of power forwards in basketball and yet they can't play nearly as many minutes as they used to. And you can't kind of put them, you can't play two power forwards together. You can't play a power forward in a center really, unless those guys are really above average and you're seeing the, the, the David Lee, um, Tyler Zeller, all these type of guys, they, they they just can't find minutes. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Maybe that's just where the game is changing. Maybe it's gravitating toward those athletes who are from six four to six seven over the over the taller rebounder guys. No, hundred percent. Like I, I'm not here to advocate either way, and, and it's it's way above my pay grade to make that kind of uh, assertion. But the other indictment I think here is the fact that the Clippers play so well without Blake Griffin. Right. Uh, who's unquestionably probably you know one of the top five at his position in the league, and, and they don't miss a beat when he's he's off the court. Uh, what does that say? Are they better off with a, a guy who just stands behind the three point line and then running pick and rolls with with Chris and DeAndre? I mean, that's the kind of thing I've been thinking about, and uh, you know, I don't know if we want that or not, but I do think the fact that the league is going to set a record this year by taking twenty eight percent of the shots from downtown, so to speak, when just 10 or 15 years ago, it was, it was 16%. Uh, I think that, that we should really address that before it gets out of hand. Because the other thing, Bill, is like, 
it's not a static thing. Like it's a trend upward. And I think at this point, it's really just, uh, it's a good time to, to take the temperature and be like, do we want this to be like college hoops where a third of the shots are from beyond the arc? Um, yeah, or do they it, want to sort of intervene? It's definitely ruined college basketball for me. I just don't think it's a yeah. very good product. I th- I think the difference, there's a couple differences this time around with, with the NBA. One is that the shooters are all better than we see in college. Um, the line's closer in college, but I, th- I just think the mastery of being able to shoot on the run and the pull-ups from 25 feet, things like that, are guys, things people in college can't do. The, the, the thing that I don't love, and I don't know if there's any way to change it at this point because over the last 10 years, all we've heard is that three points is better than two points and people have kind of moved that way. But here's what I don't love. On fast breaks, guys cut out to the sides now. Yeah. Like when we... When we were growing up, the basketball we watched, even the basketball like we played, and when you're playing pickup or whatever, you're basically taught on a three-on-two to try to get a layup. And now mm-hmm. the DNA is to is to just go for a three. And now on, on fast breaks, everybody's going to spaces that are behind the line. I don't know how you change that. I don't know if, the, if changing the three-point line changes that DNA. Is it even possible at this point? I don't know. It's a really good thing. Yeah, it's like it, 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 it's driven me crazy, too. It's like I don't want to see a guy with three on two. That's when you see dunks. So that's where you see really athletic plays or and ones. Now we see, you know, a catch and shoot 25 foot shot. But, you know, I think the league has really four options. And this is one of the ones I wanted to run by is, is the first option is to not doing it, do anything. A lot of people aren't complaining. It's not a big deal. But if they do decide to do something, I think there's three things they can do. The first thing is to get rid of the line. That's not going to happen. The second thing is they can move it back in some fashion. And I've done a lot of analysis for the Sloan thing on 25 feet, um, which is exactly half the width of the court. So it's at least justifiable from that sense. Uh, but the third thing, which is something I know you love from one random thing I wrote in Grantland, was like allowing home teams to draw the line differently um, mm. in, in their gym. <laughs> So theoretically, the Grizzlies, who don't have a lot of historically great three-point shooting, could have a really far line uh, and make teams sort of come into the two-point area to try to beat them. Or the Cavs, imagine if they had a 30-foot line. Imagine the finals with Golden State and Cleveland last year, where in Cleveland, the three-point shot is a very different thing than it is in Golden State. And that's pretty silly, but I think it does demonstrate just how uniformity of the court uh, has, has, has played such a major role. But no, I think the I think the most realistic thing is they move it to 25 feet. And when you look at that, the, the, the top shooters in the game still shoot over 40. percent Looking at shooting between 25 and 30 feet, like Reddick shoots 46 percent, Curry shoots 44 percent in that band. Uh, it's not exactly a tough shot for those guys. But what you do see there are some of the Kevin Love types. So like Kevin Love's efficiency drops to 31 percent beyond 25 feet. Solinger is 27 uh, percent. So if one goal is to say on those fast breaks reduce some of those guys jumping out to the line. Well, if you make the line a little further, uh, then those margins change, and those guys might think it's better to attack the basket. Uh, the Carmelos, the Channing Fries, the Miritiches, all those guys shooting numbers drop in ways that the Reddicks and Currys don't. You left out one other option. What's that? If you made it so that there were like two stretches of the game where nobody could shoot threes. Maybe you oh, say yeah. it's like the, yeah. fir- the first, from the three-minute mark of the first quarter through the six-minute mark of the second quarter, and then same thing for the third and fourth quarter. Just no threes. That's it. I love it. Or Yeah, or, or to, to get your point, is like if there's more than 20 seconds on the shot clock or, 20, or 18 or something, there's no three-pointers. That gets rid of that fast break three that you hate. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's outside well, Wait a box. second. No, 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 no. no. I, I like the fast break three. I and I enjoy watching the pull ups and some of the stuff Curry does. I just think it's weird that every time now, um, guys just scatter left and right versus going toward the rim. I don't. I just don't know how you change that because I, I think that's they learned that in AAU and high school and college. I don't. I don't see how mm-hmm. that's in the DNA now. Like, yeah, and to be fair, that's the right play. I mean, anybody would tell you that's the smart thing to do. Uh, and I think the league, one of the things that's interesting is, yeah, now that everybody's, every, all the players have obviously grown up with a three-point line. But just as importantly, all the coaches now have grown up with a three-point line. So you're seeing, you know, Steve Kerr, who 
obviously is a three-point shooter in his own right, uh, teaching tactics to get more three-point lines, whether it's in transition or otherwise. But yeah, I, I guess I don't, I don't, again, I don't have a really strong position here, but to the NBA's credit, one of the things they've done so well, and you know this as, as, best, as best as anyone, is they've, they've messed with the rules. Uh, when something does, you know, they, they, they've created, whether it's the perimeter touch rule, the restricted area, uh, let's not pretend that the, three, the NBA has been a static rule base. I mean, they've, they've changed things to, to make the game um, better. Uh, but yeah, I do think like, there are things they can do in that sense to maintain an optimal balance between two-point scoring and three-point scoring. And again, I'm not arguing that three-point scoring is out of hand, but I'm arguing that it's heading in that direction. Uh, and I think the league should at least consider in the next few off-seasons ways to sort of temper that effect. You know, I'm looking at uh, everybody who's averaged more than like six three-pointers a game. If you're making... If you're making 34%, if you're taking six threes a game and you're making 34% of them, didn't we just spend the last tense long conferences and a lot of this data is saying that that's better than shooting twos because even if you miss them, you have a better chance of getting the long rebound? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the exact type of character that I will insert my opinion. I think that's, that's, that's what we should target is... And, I, you know, I'll put a name on it. Kevin Love, who, who is undeniably one of the best rebounders of his generation, has been reduced, uh, given the contemporary economics of basketball, he's been reduced to a spot-up shooter. Um, I'd love to see that guy or Solinger on your team uh, sort of return to um, their native habitat uh, for their position. But, yeah, if you're shooting 34%, it's not a bad shot. I mean, you know, Kiss Daryl Morey's ring as we go to Sloan. It's appropriate to bring it up. It, it's not a bad play. Um, what is a bad play, unfortunately, is this area seven to 20 feet away from the basket where, you know, guys like Dirk lived or Bernard King or Alex English. Unfortunately, those are the sort of the casualties of this era um, are a lot of, unless you're an unreal two-point jump shooter, you know, it's hard to analytically justify a lot of shots in that area. Uh, and I think, I think that's pretty sad as somebody who grew up watching those guys. Um, even Jordan, to an extent, you know, he led the league in two-point attempts most of his career. Um, and I kind of think one provocative argument is to suggest if he were playing now, he'd be shooting a lot more threes. And is that really what we loved about Michael Jordan? Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. I I think it's it's something that starts when you're 12. And yeah. I, and. The the ironically the worst thing that's going to happen for all this is Steph Curry, because he's the most popular player in twenty years, and it's it, you you have a whole generation of kids who want to be him, and part of being him is shooting threes. It, yeah. What's funny is it's so much easier to emulate the threes with the Curry experience, and not the footwork of him driving. House and I were talking about just how he's mastered much like Nash did the off balance off one leg, the reverse layups, the in motion, the, that feeling the guy, the bigger guy against his body and, and cutting in front of him to get the contact for the layup. He's mastered that whole part of the game. And yet nobody talks about that. They just talk about no, the and threes. It will make, and I talk about his three point shooting, but it's to your point, I'm sure you guys talked about this. It's like his handle is literally, if not the best, one of the top three or four in the league. And his ability, the sports science guys did a great job of looking at his release time a couple of seasons ago. And he has the fastest release. It's the whole apparatus from gathering his dribble to releasing this incredibly precise shot. That's what it is. It's, it's the whole package. It's not like that's what separates him even from his teammate Clay. It's like, he can get his shot unassisted. The unassisted three-point shot is really Steph's signature move, in my opinion. Just crossing somebody up, getting space out of nowhere, and letting the ball fly, and then it goes in. Um, and yeah, certainly he is so popular for a reason, because I think one of the most amazing things, and the only comparison I could really come up with is like Tiger Woods is his absolute peak. It's incredible to me that millions of people try to shoot a basketball every day and there's this one person on the planet who is so much better at it than everybody else who tries it and uh i think that's he captivates it because everybody can relate to shooting a basketball even when jordan and lebron were at their, their absolute peaks 
it's hard to relate to some of their feats. But, you know, you can watch Steph shoot a 28-footer. That shot he hit the other night is like, oh, my God, I can't even believe somebody would try that, let alone make that in that situation. Um, I think that's why it's so incredible. But you have to remember the the whole package from the playmaking ability he's developed, the the handle, um, and the release time. Um, But, yeah, like the the craziest stat, and I I sent this to you on email over the weekend, but as a whole, the NBA, between 30 and 40 feet, away from the basket, essentially shooting 11.5% over the last two years. Um, Steph Curry is shooting 44% in that area. He's 11 and 25 in that zone. It's like it's, it's, he's literally expanding three points out in front of our eyes. Uh, and it is marvelous to watch. You know, 30 years ago, by by the way, the, the Steph Tiger thing is, is a really good one because he comes along and it's just, he lengthened the course. Remember when they were talking about, Oh my God, what do we do about Augusta? Tiger, oh, yeah, that's right. Tiger's yeah. ruining Augusta. He's turning these par fives into par fours and this isn't fair. And it, it's a little like what's happening now with Curry in the three point line. Cause it was, it was inconceivable to everybody that somebody could hit the ball that far in that straight and just do it over and over and over again. And then his second drive is 10 feet from the pin. It's like our second shot. And like, what do we do? But 30 years ago, Nobody took 200 uh, three-pointers in a season. Bird led the league with 194 attempts and uh, and made 82 of them. Steph is going to make 82 in February. <laughs> it's on pace. Yeah, uh, incredible. But, uh, oh, no, actually he won't because it's a short month. But maybe he could have if it was a 31-day month. But, uh, yeah. you know, I... I just look at guys like like I'm watching college right now, right? Because the Celtics have a top five pick. And Ben Simmons can't shoot. And in the old days, you would have said, Oh, it's he does so many other things. This is great. And now nowadays it's like if you if you have a guy who can't shoot, you're playing four on five. And the other teams are just like you watch what happened with Roberson on Saturday night. The other team is just <laughs> They, they're not even thinking about him. Then he's got to figure out how to keep cutting in the basket and keep them honest, all this stuff. If you're playing three on five, which uh, sometimes the Clippers have done with DeAndre and Mabab Mute together, it's just the t- it's so easy to stop now. So may- maybe yeah. part of this is do we have to change the defenses, a little, the defense rules a little bit? Well, yeah, there's there's smarter people than me have looked at the perimeter touch rules that, have, that, that and they argue that's the real shift that's happened in the NBA landscape, and, and that's compelling. I mean, the Tigers, thing, just to come back to it, the reason that came into my mind was, two, I'm not even a golf fan. I just remember the 2000 U.S. Open. He won by 15 strokes over the second-place guy, and that's where I feel like Tiger is as a jump shooter, or, I mean, Curry, definitely yeah. as a jump shooter. Yeah, he's that equivalent. The next best three-point shooter is that far behind him. Um, and then, yeah, to bring up Roberson, I mean, that poor guy, real real symbolic, because who would have thought he should have been guarding him 35 feet from the basket? You right. know, they're running down that play, and he's just, he's, it's just incredible that it wouldn't have crossed any rational defender's mind that he's not in the scoring area yet. Why would I guard him right now? But, you know, I think they'll start guarding him in that situation going forward. But I do think, to your larger point, um, we should look at defensive rules uh, in any way. Obviously, they, they, the NBA deserves credit for perpetually evaluating and tweaking things, including defensive rules. Um, but if we're starting to see, yeah, this isn't this isn't fun or this isn't competitive or, or some game part of the game is being sort of skewed uh, in ways that it hasn't been um, before, um, I think we owe it to the to the league, uh, the traditions of the league, and I think that's part of why we're seeing so many of these like iconoclasts of, of NBA history coming out. I think it is kind of alarming when you hear Kareem or Oscar Robertson um, talking about, you know, displeasure. I mean, sometimes that's sort of old grumpy guys, but other times like we should listen to that and say, you know, do these guys have a point? Um, I just about think the way the league's going. I just think they can't understand how somebody could shoot the ball this well. So that their, their instinct is to just blame other, other things. You know, yeah. and I don't know. I, I look at all this stuff and I think like this is the evolution of where basketball was going. People are just going to get better at it, right? Like this happened in baseball where these guys would throw 175 pitches a start, you know, 
and and you pitched every four days and you're a workhorse and your job's just to, you know, give your team as many innings as you can. And then eventually it moved into like that kind of Greg Maddox, Pedro type thing. And those guys, their control was so good and and so unbelievably accurate. And they were just able to give you the most efficient 210 innings possible. And that, that's just where the sport moved. And maybe this is just where the sport's moving, where you're going to have every year, you're going to have another Clay Thompson enter the league and you're going to have 20 guys who are just lights out, you know? And then, yeah. and then 10 years later, you're going to have 35 guys who are lights out. Maybe that's just where this is going. I don't know if you can stop it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your earlier point, I imagine every kid at the gym right now working on Steph moves and we're going to have a generation of that coming out. You know, I'm not mad about that. And not, not just Steph, by the way, because Clay is another good one. Clay is a six foot six guy. There's a million of them that come into the NBA who just got, you know, who's who's just technically perfect as a shooter. He made that three. Did, did you see, I think it was in the late in the fourth quarter in OT where Curry threw it to him. And it was a catch and shoot where he never brought the ball down. It was like he flipped. Yeah, it, it was almost like an alley oop, but he was twenty five feet away. It's like, oh my god, I've never seen anyone do that. I know he's. It's incredible, and I've heard you say this on other podcasts. But it's incredible these guys are on the same team. Like, let's just stop and pause and be like, wow, that's that's incredible. But yeah, yeah you like, have he is Clay's in the incredible. top top seven or eight ever from three point. Right? Wouldn't yeah. you say he's one of the eight best shooters of all time? I'd put him. Yeah, in there. I heard. I heard you and Volgaris talking about this. I, I think he's easily up in the top 10. Uh, but, yeah, what are the odds of having two of those top 10 guys on one NBA roster? It's just it's crazy. And, 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 I, and, and I do agree with you. I don't think you change the rules because of those guys. And I want to be clear, like, you know, this is something I've been thinking about since I, I remember watching Anthony Davis uh, a couple years ago with my buddy, and he was saying, oh, Anthony Davis is going to start shooting threes. And that's when I really was like, I don't want Anthony Davis shooting threes. Like, I don't want that. I want a person who is built like that and skilled like that in the two-point area uh, dominating in the two-point area close to the basket. Uh, well, it does so seem skewed, right? Like, it, like Ben Simmons is coming in, and whether he becomes a superstar or not is going to be made or broken by whether he can shoot 35% from three or not. Yeah. That's nothing that's else exactly. matters. You know, it's like, it doesn't yeah. matter that he's an incredible passer, that he's basically a six eleven point forward. He can rebound. He can buy. Nope. You got to make threes. Well, imagine, and then there's a couple other guys. TJ Warren's always the guy I bring up who is a, a sensational basketball player. Uh, and he can't shoot threes, but he's an incredible, like Bernard King style scorer. Uh, and then, you know, Westbrook's the guard example. He's not a great shooter, but he's, you know, undeniably the most athletic, sort of aggressive attack guard we've seen in a very long time. And even he, he's less dominating than he would be. If either he could shoot threes a little better or if there was no three-point line. He's a perfect example. If they got rid of the three-point line, which, again, probably not going to do and they probably shouldn't do. But if they did, he becomes a much more valuable guard than he is right now wade um, last decade wade was like that i think if you look at wade's 2009 season when he put up the 37 and 5 every game or whatever it was it was one, one of the yeah. great efficient seasons ever and didn't take a lot of threes yeah you know? wade is one of my favorite guys he's very skilled in that five foot to 12 foot area like incredibly skilled i remember looking at the numbers a few years ago it was like him and dirk were the only guys who were shooting over 50 percent in that ribbon of space um and that's the exact skill set that is being eroded as the the three point shot takes greater and greater hold of the league. Um, and again, it, it might not be something worth lamenting too much, but it is worth noting. I think that yeah, players like Dwayne Wade, there are certain types of players. Parker whose value is Tony Parker, who, he's now shooting forty six percent from three. I think it's amazing. Remember, he couldn't shoot him at all eight years ago. It was a huge <laughs> hole in his game. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know where this is going. I think the idea of of home teams deciding before the season what their line is going to look like for every single game, regular season or playoffs, is fascinating. Like on the one hand, it seems just like the most ridiculous idea ever, and on the other hand, that's what we do with every baseball stadium. You get to pick yeah, and that's choose. Where I got the idea. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you made that whole case, and it's a great case. I really like it. I mean, all football 
stadiums are the same. I think hockey rinks can vary. Um, yeah. Some of them are smaller soccer. than others. So- I think soccer has slightly different size pitches. Uh, the the yeah, only other think- thing, we didn't mention one other thing, and then we have to go. Is it is it worth thinking about expanding the court by uh, making oh, it like a making it like a foot wider on each side? So, if you go a twenty five foot arc, which is I think justifiable analytically, keep in mind the arc right now is not an arc. It's twenty three point seven five feet in some places and and twenty two feet I think in the corners. So it's not an arc. But yeah, so twenty five foot I think is an interesting number. Um, it's not too far from where we are now. Um, but obviously that on a 50-foot-wide court, it's not big enough to hold, uh, so the corner three goes away. So either we get rid of the corner three if we go 25 feet, keep it where it is, or, to your point, we widen the court. And I think it would take six feet um, of court space to get three feet uh, um, where we have now the same amount of three feet between the sideline and corner three. Um, that would be, I'm sure the, the building operations people would, would have a nightmare trying to accomplish that well we're already jamming things all around the court yeah i was gonna say that that the reason that will never happen is because you're losing a row of seats potentially yeah you're but then they other people argue well you're getting six four feet of uh courtside seats along the baseline so i mean i'll leave it to the economics people at the the teams to figure out if this is worth doing financially or not but what what if you but what if you just added a foot on each side and just made that made that corner three a foot longer. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think they should look at that. The, the corner, the short corner is very difficult to justify from any analytical standpoint. Guys are making that 38, 39% of the time. It's obviously the, 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 the crown jewel of the Sloan conference for a reason, you know, six, seven years ago, people are realizing that was a, a sort of a market inefficiency. Yeah. Um, and, and teams have been exploiting it ever since. Um, and from from an analytical, if you look at field goal percentage, just how that changes over the surface of the court, uh, it's really hard to justify that shot being worth you know a full point more than the same length shot in front of the basket. It doesn't make any sense. So I think yeah, making that shot a little longer um, is something the league should certainly evaluate doing. Or there's another there's another variation where the arc kind of ends before the corner three. And there's that like five feet of corner space in all four corners where it's just not worth a three because the, the yeah, arc's I, already ended. And then, the, yeah, the reason I like that is then you have you can actually call that an arc because it's not yeah. just sort of a, a geometric snob. But yeah, what we have now is not really an arc when there's this, this angle and this straight part of it. But yeah, like I think, you know, Van Gundy had a really provocative idea, I think, a couple of years ago. He said the corner three should be worth 2.5 points, which I think is. It's a hilarious idea. It, it, once you think about it, it's like it's not that hard to implement. Um, but I think it gets to the point that we're all sort of seeing. It's like that shot shouldn't be worth a full point more than a lot of these two-point jump shots that are even the same length uh, in other parts of the court. I can guarantee you a 2.5 shot will never happen. That's the one thing I can <laughs> guarantee you of all this. De- decimals are too confusing. I know, yeah. The average person, yeah. Could you imagine, like, late night at a bar, somebody's trying to figure out what their team needs, and there's decimals involved, and it's just, it's not going to go well at all. Yeah, I, I can barely keep happen. track with the with without decimals, <laughs> or maybe make it so that uh, maybe th- every fourth corner three only counts for two points. Yeah, maybe there's a bunch of weird stuff you could, yeah, you could have a, like a, a, a roulette style wheel, but. Yeah, I, I think you know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's I think it's fascinating. I mean, more than anything, though, I just think it's really interesting. I think the league is it deserves credit for constantly monitoring itself, and this is its next thing. I think we're a little, you know, we're a ways away from them actually changing it. But I'm fascinated to see what they end up doing. I think the corner is one way to to look at it. Uh, widening the court, uh, having the home teams have different lines. Uh, there's a lot of things they could do, but you know what we all want to see is the same. It's just the best league possible. And by the way, um, the best the best way to fix Kevin Love's career would have been to just trade him to the Celtics because that shot is open for him. They would have used him correctly. He's he's really just being used incorrectly by Cleveland. He they do not take advantage of all the skills that he has as an inside outside guy who can post up, who can run the offense at the top of the key. They just don't. 
they don't use him right. So I don't want to overreact to his six threes a game because I'm in the situation he's in. I'm not sure what else he should do. You know? Yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I mean, they have a, they have a bunch of other guys that can score the ball uh, and don't they don't want to clog up space. So I mean, ecologically, they're they're playing with a full deck. Would you scorers. hear what Bogut Bogut said on uh, on my podcast last week? He said Verzhev showed up for the Warriors, and he was like, "I can't believe how well you move you guys move the ball. It's so different from." Where I was just at, it was it was a total dig at the Cavs. It was like, wow, you guys pass. It was basically <laughs> what he was saying. Um, but anyway, all yeah. right. So you can uh, if you can be one of the two thousand uh, males who will be staring at Kurt Goldsberry as he delivers <laughs> his lecture. The, the Sloan Conference, America's greatest uh, nerdy sausage party. That's going to be on Friday in Boston. Um, supposedly, yeah. they have at least. 27 women are going to be there this year. They said they might break the uh, record. I'll believe it when I see it, Bill. Maybe, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> maybe hoping for 30. 30 women is in pay. It's possible. The The record was 24. Uh, hey, man, great to see you. Do, do Give your Twitter handle because I can't remember what it is. It's a Kurt Goldsberry. It's, oh, uh, that's it's easy. The lowest Twitter handle right now. But come come, give me a follow. I'd love to uh, not tweet at you. All right, cool. Good luck. Uh, good luck with the Patriots of the NBA. Thank you, brother. Good right. to talk to you. Good, Good to talk to you, too. Thanks, man. Talk right. to you soon. Bye. All right, that was fun. Nerding it up with Kirk Goldsberry. Thanks to Slender Tone Connect, the smart fitness device that tones and tightens your abs using clinically proven EMS technology. Slender Tone Connect creates your personal toning plan, tracks workouts, sends customized tips to keep you motivated. You'll have firmer, more, more toned abs within six weeks. Visit slendertone.com today. Receive 20% off using BS at checkout. Thanks to Legal zoom veritone get the legal help you need to run a successful business during national small business month oh my god i can't believe it's here get started at legalzoom.com with an incorporation or llc plus get ongoing legal advice from independent attorneys in 48 states since legal zoom isn't a law firm go to legalzoom.com now and be sure to enter bs at checkout for a special deal Thanks to HBO Now. You don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO Now app. Start your free one-month trial today. Thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast and Channel 33. Thanks to FrameBridge.com for framing all the posters in my office. If you go there on Leap Year and enter the code uh, Leap Day, you get 15% off all your orders. And, uh, and don't forget to follow The Ringer on Twitter. At Ringer. Don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter at theringer.com. And don't forget to go to SeatGeek.com, the presenting sponsor of the Bussman's Podcast and Channel 33. See you later. We are about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.